we get Amy and Annie telling it better than I ever could. You know, that whether you're in Thailand or, uh, you know, horrible commute to work right here in, the, in, in our region here, you know, just living our lives as the everyday people of God. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be an everyday servant. Um, but I want to start a little bit thinking about uh, English language. And uh, English language is a funny thing. I don't know if it's our language or the way that our minds work, but we say contradictory things all the time in our conversation. And, and we just, I don't know if we even really think about it. You know, someone will say to you, okay, you'll be fine. Just act naturally. Well, am I acting or is it, you know, turn on the news. Somebody was found missing. Um, somebody might give you a definite maybe. You can go to the store and buy plastic glasses. Uh, something could be pretty ugly. You know, people try to take working vacation. That never made sense to me. Um, or somebody might demand of you an exact estimate. Uh, you can go to the grocery store and buy vegetarian meatballs. That one, I don't even, you've seen them, right? I get this one all the time. Somebody will stop me and say, may I ask you a question? Uh, your boss you know, comes to you angry. This report is full of omissions. Okay. A very confident leader says, we are not expecting any emergencies. I'm not anticipating any I missed that one, sorry. Um, okay, you're in your small group, you get into a big theological debate, and the one very impassioned member of your small group says, we must believe in free will. We have no choice. <laughs> to which your atheist neighbor says, thank God I'm an atheist. Um, a friend shows you something new that they have, said, I, I paid too much for it, but it's totally worth it. Um, if you fall and break your legs, don't come running to me. That's your mother. Um, so we have one of these in our text. If you, I don't know if it jumped out at you. It did at me. Look at verse 16. It says both live as free people and live as God's slaves. This seems just totally contradictory. Free slaves, that's what we are in Jesus Christ. It, it's, it seems contradictory. Now, not only is this not contradictory, living as a free slave or a free servant is a beautiful way of life that we can live in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. We can live as free slaves, and it's not contradictory at all. And I want to explore this today. What, is it, what does it mean to live as a life of just an everyday servant of God and everyday servant of everyone, really. Uh, however, while it's not a contradictory idea, we'll, and we'll explore it together, it is a very difficult idea. Because the default condition of our human hearts is not to be a servant of other people. Uh, I'll put it like this. You think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we have very sinful hearts, very broken, self-centered hearts that turn from God. But God reaches out to us in love, and Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross, 
in our place. He takes our sin from us. He gives us his goodness. He's transforming us and changing us. But we still have, we're, we're in a process, and we still have this sinful part of us, this sinful heart that is our default that we still tend back to if we're not careful. And when we do that in terms of serving, our typical default attitude is, how can I be served? You know, what can I gain here in this relationship, in this interaction? How can I be served by someone else? How is, is this to my advantage? But to follow Jesus, we have to become servants. Jesus said, if anybody wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. And this way, way of life is so countercultural that we have to fight. We actually have to learn it and, and fight for it. So here, Peter is, is talking about what it means to really be this type of a servant. And so what I want to, and, and then he gives some examples of how you live it out in different spheres of your life. So uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at how we live out this life of servanthood. Uh, so what I want to give you this week, though, is this servant principle. I want to sort of define and, and take a look at what it means to be this everyday servant. Uh, secondly, servant practice, what this looks at like lived out, give an example of practicing everyday servanthood. And lastly, servant power. How do we have the power to be able to live this way of life? So that's what we want to do this morning. Let's pray as we do this. Father God, you are good and you are gracious to us. And we just ask right now that you would just deal with us very graciously with your mercy as we seek to, to understand this life that you've called us to, to, to be your people, Lord. So we need you, Lord, to be our teacher. So we humbly ask that you would guide us in this time as we search your word. Give us wisdom. Give us insight, Lord. Move in our hearts to understand how to respond to you, to be obedient to you, Lord. That is our request, Lord. We thank you that you love us and hear us, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. First of all, the servant principle, uh, really summarized in verse 17, where he says, show proper respect to everyone, or serve everyone, or honor everyone. I mean, it just the, the whole idea is that whether people deserve it or not, we are called to be submitted to the people around us, and those who, especially in this context, to those who are in authority around us. He gives a really big picture example of this. Verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So you're supposed to be submitted, Christians, to your political leaders, to which you might say, is that right? Is that outdated? Is this sort of what we're called to? Now, you might even, if you've read the Bible, you might even say, well, Peter's writing this, right? Isn't Peter the same one who stood before the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious authority, and he said, oh, I'll read it to you. Peter said in Acts chapter 5, or the, the priest, the chief priest is speaking to him. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, name of Jesus, he said, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. So he was, he was openly disobedient to direct orders from an authority. And now Peter's saying you need to be submitted to all the authorities around you that you are under. And as we look in scripture, we see a whole spectrum of 
of uh, civil obedience or civil disobedience and submission to the authorities around you. We see both of these things and we, we weigh them together. And again, uh, certainly if an authority in, in the world or in life is, uh, would cause you, your obedience would cause you to sin or would cause you to do something evil in God's eyes, you would not obey that. But generally we are to be submitted to the authorities around us political forces and other. So on one end of the spectrum, you'd have this kind of an uncritical, unquestioning allegiance to any demands of society, regardless of, of what it is. And the Bible doesn't ask us to do that. On the other end of the spectrum is this hypercritical, uh, concluding governments are inevitably evil and institutions that you have to disobey and be disloyal to and distrust and ignore. On the other end of the spectrum, the Bible doesn't commend either of those. But what is clear in Scripture is that we are to honor people in authority. We are to pray for world leaders, political leaders, for those in authority. We are also, Jesus said, called to love our enemies. If we see someone in the world or a political force that you see as an enemy of yours or an enemy of your ideals, that we are to love those. Now, if we were to take these principles of honoring those in authority, let's say political leaders, and we're going to put this test onto, if you're connected on, say, social media, something like Facebook, and the things that are said about political leaders, political candidates, and, and the tone of that, would we pass that test as Christians? No! We fail! We fail at this. This is, but you say, well, but there's evil regime out there that I'm, I'm being critical of. And I say, well, look at first century Rome. Look at some of these emperors, the lunatic emperors who just, you know, okay, it's illegal to be a Christian now, so let's kill Christians. Oh, wait, no, it's okay to be a Christian. You're perfectly safe. And then they change their mind again. And just fickle leaders who, in these same Christians, in these same provinces that are reading this letter, are going to face horrible persecutions from the leadership. And here we have, you know, honor the emperor. You know, so what we face today, you know, you may think is horrible, but, you know, we need to be careful. So I just encourage you to be careful with those types of things, particularly in this season. And there's, um, man, there's, there's a lot at stake right now. But in this season, to be careful how we speak of people in authority. You know, if Jesus, it's kind of cliche, but if Jesus was sitting next to you and reading what you're posting or liking or that kind of thing, you know, would, would Jesus be honored by that? Or not, you know, let's say the test Jesus says, or the scripture says, bless and do not curse. You know, did, does it pass that test? Um, and, and we should certainly be praying. Pray for the president. Pray for our Supreme Court. And pray, I mean, certainly this weekend with everything that's gone on, there's a lot at stake. And also remember that vengeance is the Lord. If somebody has done something wrong or evil is, or is promoting something that is wrong or evil, that is for God to judge, that we trust God's sovereignty. We trust that everyone will have to stand before the Lord and give an account for their life. That's God's job. It's not our job to do that. So we can be servants even or show honor even in that. 
Uh, but think about servanthood. So that's, that's kind of a big picture example, and that's, sorry for that little warning, but um, servants. If you think of someone in your life who you say, you know, that person's a servant, just has a real servant heart, they're, they just come to mind when you, when you think that. You kind of picture that person. I want to give you four characteristics of servants. Actually, uh, got these from Pastor Brian from last week. I thought these were helpful. Uh, the first is that servant, uh, true servants are encouragers. Why would you say that? Somebody who's a servant is also encouraging. The reason is they are not always focused on themselves. True servants are focused on others and the needs of others, such that... Uh, when they are with you, they are focused on you and not just their own needs, and you end up feeling encouraged because of that. You end up feeling built up because you are being served, even if it's just, uh, even if it's just somebody who's uh, attentive to you. I, I loved in the video, Annie said, you know, God has gifted me to listen to people, and people feel encouraged, and I, I have served them just by simply listening to them, but we've got to get our eyes in our ears off our own issues to be able to focus on someone else. And true servants can do that. Secondly, true servants are brave. They're not afraid to speak the truth. Because people who are afraid to speak the truth to you are really concerned about what you will think of them. And again, their focus becomes on themselves. But true servants, their focus isn't on themselves. Their focus is on who around me can I serve. And if somebody needs truth spoken to them, a true servant can speak truth. Thirdly, a true servant is servable. So there's certain types of servants who are just, you might look at somebody and say, well, that person really has a, a servant heart, and they're just doing and doing and doing, and they just don't stop. But they're in need, and they say, no, 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 I, I got this. I, I don't need help. Don't help me, but I need to go help other people. And it, it, it turns true servanthood into something that it's not meant to, to be. Not meant to become a martyr in this. Or that you're somehow trying to justify yourself by serving others or uh, making up for some wrong in your life or this constant need to be serving and serving. Actually, that when you are in need, you could also receive that because you have the humility to do so. Fourthly, true servants are anonymous, or at least they don't care if they're anonymous. You know, true servants aren't trying to position themselves above other people or before other people. True servants are trying to position themselves under other people to, to serve them and to love them. So they don't care if their name doesn't get recognized. They don't get their name on the plaque or printed in the bulletin or, or spoken of publicly. They, that's not the point. Now, affirmation is good, and we should all be quick to affirm people who have, who have served well, who have given of themselves, and we should do that. So we should be quick to give it, but we shouldn't be people who are quick to want it. I need you know, needing affirmation other than the fact that we are just being obedient to what God's called us to. Those are four characteristics. You could think of others, but this is the type of heart that we are called to in all realms of life. Jesus, even Jesus' disciples struggled greatly with this notion of what he was talking about, living a life of service to others. It was one account where two of his disciples, James and John, they were brothers, they went, their, they went with their mother to Jesus. And it's accounted in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. So James and John, their mom goes to Jesus because Jesus has been walking with these men and teaching them about this new kingdom that he's ushering in. And, and Jesus asked this woman, what do you want? And she said, Jesus, 
Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. In Jesus' response to her, he says, you do not know what you are asking of me. You don't even know what you're asking. You just asked me which one of your sons is going to sit on my right and sit on my left. I, Jesus knew that he came to serve. And the way that he served with it, he was going to give his life as a ransom for all people. And that he was going to die on a cross. He said, you, you don't even know what you're asking. You're asking that you want your sons hanging on my right and my left? Because that's, that's what this kingdom is about. So when I'm in my kingdom and when I'm living the way that I'm being obedient to, to the call of God, this is what it looks like. And you think it's going to be about status for your for your sons or status for you, you have no idea. And Jesus, he, so he answered like this. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, I'm sorry, did not come to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. That's the, the heart of it. And that's the principle. That's the the heart of everyday servanthood. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the servant practice. And this is in relation to a work environment or specifically to slaves or servants. Look at verse 18. It says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. Now, slavery is a tough word because we have a certain understanding of slavery in this country, in our history, uh, slavery in the, and again, this word slavery in Greek, you could translate it servant, and you'll see Bible translations that do that. That's a good translation, slave, servant. But in, in first century, in the Roman provinces and throughout the ancient world, slavery was practiced. And it didn't necessarily look like slavery in this country, but these people were still property. If you were a slave, you were someone else's property. You didn't have legal rights of your own. You couldn't just find a new master or find a new place to work. That wasn't an option for you. You couldn't just leave. But you could have actually quite a, a decent life depending on your work. So slaves in the ancient world did basically every vocation that you could have from uh, caring for children or working in a home, teaching, but even a doctor could be a, a slave. You could be treated well, be like, like part of the family. Other slaves worked in mines and were treated very cruelly and had a very short life expectancy because it's grueling work and damaging to the body. So there's that end of the spectrum too. Some slaves made a decent wage and they could actually sort of work their way and buy their own freedom and become free people. But others didn't have that and didn't, that was not an option for them. So it was, it's hard to say... Oh, slavery in the first century looked like this, because it looked like a lot of different things. But the principle that we can take from this, the servant principle applied to this, was if you have somebody in authority over you in your day-to-day -day work, your boss, that we need to live in submission and honor our bosses. And it's okay for us to apply this text this way even though we have more legal rights and freedoms than, you know, a servant in the first century. Um, so here's the question. How do you respond to your boss? Now, most of you have, at least in 
whatever your work is, there is, you have a boss, somebody is over you. Or if you're sort of the, I guess if you're the head of your, if you do not have a boss, you are the head of your company, you, you, still, have, you still have people who have, in a sense, authority, your customers or your clients or that sort of thing. So I think everybody can understand the servant principle in their line of work. So, and, and not just if I have a, how do I honor my boss when my boss is good, but how do I honor a harsh boss? You know, as we scatter about throughout the week, whatever you do, whoever's in authority you, over you in that realm, how do you deal with that? How do you submit yourself to your boss or your supervisor? Because there's some... And again, I, see, I hear these stories, and it happens again and again, where people just have horrible work situations, where they get blamed for things they didn't do, and they don't get credit for the things they did do. Or they do what they're told, and they still get blamed for doing it wrong because your supervisor was wrong, but they're not taking the blame. They're pointing it to you. And we just, we, we see this type of thing. And here, you know, at verse 19, it, it's, it's commendable if someone bears up under pain, unjust suffering, because they're... Uh, for it is, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? I mean, if you mess up and you get blamed for that, well, that's one thing. But what about when you're doing things right? And it just it's this, becomes a really harsh environment. How do you deal with that? Now, our normal response is not to honor our boss at that time. Or to... to be respectful or be a servant of that. Our typical responses are to fight back or to criticize or to get defensive. You may not fight back literally, like Pastor Brian confessed to doing last week, so meet you in the parking lot after work. You know, that was his last day on that job. And he, and you can ask him about it, he spoke publicly of it. Um, I'm not here to confess Pastor Brian's sins, but you, but you can ask him. Um, but you may not fight back, you may not challenge your boss to a fight as a long time ago. Uh, but you may harbor that in your heart. You may criticize a supervisor to coworkers. The thing I'm good at, getting defensive, defending yourself, blaming others. Um, again, that's God's job to judge, not ours. And this is a tough one. So think about tomorrow, you know, wherever you're going to be, how can you honor those folks in your life? So, but again, this is very hard. So the third thing we need to look at is where's the power for this? Where's the servant power? And we see this in verses 21 to 25. Verse 20, and in verse 22, quoting from Isaiah, a really beautiful passage, but starting in 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is the ultimate example for us and we can follow in his steps. He was insulted and he was criticized and he was accused for things he did not do. Yet he didn't insult, he didn't retaliate, he made no threats. He, he submitted to it. It's a powerful example. 
And that's our power to, to live this kind of life comes from that. But it's a powerful example, but it's, it's a little bit of an overwhelming example, too. When, I, when, when my son was very young, it was a, a snowy winter about this time of year. We went out in the backyard, and the snow was very deep, and he couldn't walk in it. And I said, son, walk in my footsteps. And I made these you know, steps in the snow so he could step in the snow, and he would be safe because we were playing in the backyard. The problem was, my steps were too big. He, he would step into my footstep and try to make the next one. He'd fall over and get snow on his face and cry again. He's just really, really little. He couldn't follow in my footsteps. And I see follow in the steps of Jesus, and I say, they're just too big. He's hanging on the cross, and he was blessing those who were killing him. This is nearly impossible. I don't have the strength to do this. So the good news here is Jesus is not just our example. If he was just my example, I would just feel really guilty. But Jesus is, is our example, but he's more than our example. He's also the power behind it. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. It's more like, less like the walking in the snow. It's a lot more like when we got um, little toddler, my little toddler son, uh, this one of these little tykes basketball hoop, a little plastic hoop, and he was two years old. And I said, son, you got to learn how to shoot a jump shot and get the ball like this, and you kind of bend your knees and you jump and shoot. And I showed him with perfect form how to shoot a jump shot. So he took the ball, his little two-year-old hands, and he bent his knees and he went up and the ball just rolled off his fingers and hit the ground. I said, son, let's try this again. And he gets the ball in his little hands. to said, bend your knees. And I grab him by the waist this time. And I lift him up when he goes to shoot and he pushes it onto the rim and in. Yay! And we clap, get the ball. Let's try it again. And I hold him by the way. So not only did I give him the example, but I gave him the power to do it. And that's what we have here. We have the example of Jesus, but also the power of Jesus, who took all my sins and took all the brokenness in me and everything that wants, me, wants to make me defend myself and criticize my leaders and criticize our bosses and, and, and to blast other people and get defensive. Not only do we have Jesus' example, but we have him, the, his power that he took these things from us and he's giving us his righteousness and it's empowering us and he's shepherding us, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, empowering us to be his people and to, to fuel us by his spirit to actually be able to live this out. So it's actually possible to live as an everyday servant of God. Praise God. So here's some things we can do with this. A few things. Sort of practical ways you can do this. The first is to live as a servant. And remember, servanthood is not just doing a service project, but it's a way of life. And there's opportunities to serve in every arena, in your home, and we'll look at that next week, but also serving in your place of work or serving just wherever you are. However, a service project or service opportunity is a great way to exercise your serving muscles. So if this is a struggle for you, maybe you need to get out and be more intentional serving in those ways so that when you go back into your everyday life, you can use that. 
So connect with uh, Maureen and our missions and service team. Look online. There's a ton of opportunities for you to be able to exercise your service muscles, so to speak. Uh, second thing, be careful on social media, particularly at campaign time, particularly uh, uh, in light of the fact that we're called to honor pe all people, Christians. So I won't say any more about that, but just, just behave. Uh, honor your boss, thirdly. Honor your boss. Uh, man, some of you, that's going to be really hard, but it could totally change the culture of your place of work. And lastly, tap into the power to, to, to do this. Reflect on what Jesus accomplished. Don't ever lose sight of that. If you just try to do this with your own effort, you're going to fail. But by the power of Christ, you can do it. Let me just read these words again. I'll close with this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen.